Welcome to this uh, edition of the Brookie and Burjo podcast. Uh, I'm Brookie and I'm in Melbourne. And uh, Burjo, where are you? I'm in Adelaide, mate. We're, we're uh, yeah. The city of churches. The Adelaide Crows. Ah, very good. Absolutely. Very good. And uh, today we have a very special guest on the other side of the world. What about you introduce him, Darren? Yeah, it's a great pleasure to introduce Mikhail. Now, I'm going to get this name right, I think. Zilkin. Uh, Mickey, how did I go? Yeah, yeah, well done. Well done, Darren. Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, Mickey. It's uh, it's great to great to have you on the podcast, and we look forward to uh, exploring all aspects of data science as well as a little bit about your background, mate. Okay. Uh, so, Mickey, uh, your current position is the data scientist at the, at Arsenal Football Club, um, but uh, it's been a pretty interesting journey uh, from Moscow to Arsenal. Ta- take us through it. You're you're born and uh, grew up in Moscow, or in Russia. Well. I grew up in a smaller town, but I went to uni- to university in Moscow, where I got my master's degree in applied physics and mathematics. And uh, while at university, I also started my career uh, in um, in 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 with a software company. And actually, that company, Arconis, they are now one of Arsenal's sponsors. So. Uh, <laughs> I almost made a full circle there. And um, after my graduation, uh, I also had a, a little spell in Japan right. where I worked as basically a middleman uh, between uh, the the company and uh, their Japanese partners. So that was an interesting experience. Uh, had nothing to do with football, although I did play some 11 aside and also got my... Um, FA level one caution certificate, um, just for the fun of it. Yep. yep. And, and um, is, is, it, is it true there, just to jump in there, Nikki, whilst hmm. you were in Japan, uh, you were in quite a remote area of Japan, is that correct? <laughs> no, 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 not really. It was, it was Tokyo. Oh, that's not particularly remote. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's a fairly big city. You might have heard of it. <laughs> no, no. No. no, I thought you were. There was a, a story going around. Maybe it was in between when we hired you at Arsenal to when you arrived that uh, that you had lived there and you weren't able to. Um, because of your role or your history, you weren't able to bet on sumo wrestling or something like that. Is that is that was that just a a um, a, a myth a myth that we created around you to, to add to the mystique that is Mikhail? Probably, I I, I did have some uh, interest in 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 sumo wrestling, but when uh, I had already moved to Sweden. Because um, obviously I miss Japan, and uh, I started watching sumo wrestling, and uh, I also used it uh, as, as as a hobby uh, to do some data analysis of the results and build a predictive model. And I did some betting, but merely to test my model. And uh, I don't think I was breaking any rules. I I, I was working for a sports betting company at the time. Um, 
but I don't think there were any restrictions because I didn't have any okay. insider knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Mm. All right. So what happened after Japan, uh, Mickey? Um, just, uh, I spent some time staying with my parents back in Russia and then I uh, found a job in Sweden uh, and I moved to Stockholm in 2012. Uh, the first job didn't go so well. And um, after six months, uh, I, went, I, I went to work for another company, which wasn't particularly well known at the time. Um, they were a fairly small uh, game development company called King. And I joined as a data scientist. And when I saw the job ad, I didn't even know what data science meant. <laughs> so I had to, I had to read the job description. It was early 2013, so not many people would use the term data scientist. And uh, as you may know, that's the company who created Candy Crush. So obviously they got quite big there. Um, I worked there for about four years and the company grew massively and uh, the games Candy Crush uh, obviously uh, was quite a hit. Um, I took part in launching two sequels to the original Candy Crush game and then that was followed by a short spell at a sports betting company and then one day i saw a job ad um for a position with arsenal and being a football fan i just couldn't not apply so i i took a shot and uh that's that's how i came to london colony Right, and uh... I, rem I remember the uh, the interview well, Carl. I don't know, I don't know if you you recall anything about it, or you, you want me to tell you my impressions, but uh, I I do. Go ahead, Darren. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, we we interviewed some really good candidates the day before, and then and uh, stumbling through the corridors of of. Uh, London Colney rookie was a man with a hoodie on and a backpack. <laughs> yep. And I thought, oh, security are having a pretty bad day here. Uh, they're, they're letting just anybody in. And I said, can I help you? And uh, Mickey turned around and said, uh, yes, I'm here for the interview. And uh, so I came back inside and I thought, okay, this won't take long. And uh, um, yeah, he sat down and honestly answered every single question that we posed to him and some which we'd been given um, by by some of the other statisticians that worked with uh, with us at Arsenal and uh, yeah it was it was one of the better interviews that I've ever been associated with and and we pretty much um, offered him the job straight away. What, what were your impressions of it, Mickey, of that first interview? And and obviously if we overstep any any sort of confidentiality agreements with Arsenal, just don't be don't be shy to say so. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, yeah, well, my impression was that the interview went well. Um, I struggled finding the way to, to the turning ground, actually. Because <laughs> uh, I, I spent, I spent uh, the night before uh, at, uh, at that Holiday Inn hotel just across the road. Yes. Because there are all those roundabouts and the M25. I, I I tried to make it over to the training ground on foot, <laughs> and yeah. it, it was raining, and uh, I couldn't quite negotiate a muddy 
uh, uh, food sack. So I eventually <laughs> I just gave up. I went back to the hotel, called a cab, <laughs> um, uh, made that uh, two minute drive. Um, so yeah, the day didn't start particularly well. And, um, you know, about the way I was dressed, you know, they say, uh, if you have to choose between two surgeons and one of them is dressed immaculately and makes a great first impression and the other one is a bit shabby and <laughs> looks worn down and whatnot, just go for the second one because he made it in spite of his appearance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, that 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 was that certainly rang true, and and probably just a, a couple of other things uh, while we're on this topic, Mickey, and then we'll get down to the serious data scientists, uh, data science. But I think it's important that people understand, you know, a bit a bit about your personality. Um, we're having a conversation off air. It's fair to say, what time is it at night there, Mickey? Uh, it's half ten uh, at night. Uh, and and I asked you what um, what you were eating at that particular time, and your reply was, <laughs> "I'm just between my dinner and late dinner." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's fair to say, Brookie, you've never seen anybody attack the buffet uh, at Arsenal and post game. He, he actually, at times, I looked around during the game, and Makar wasn't in his seat watching the game. He was, in fact, waiting for the chef to deliver the unbelievable post game. Meals, uh, so yes, he can he can put it away. So um, yeah, it was, a, it was a big trade of Mickey. But onto the more serious stuff, mate. Um, the role of a data scientist at, at a football club or at a sporting club. Uh, how, how do you see that working, or where do you see? Let, let's talk the utopia, the best case scenario for for someone like yourself in a football club. And and obviously, you don't have to give specific examples of. Uh, but anything from Arsenal or anything that you've heard from colleagues, but uh, best case scenario, where does a data scientist fit? Well, I think in general, and I'm not talking about Arsenal specifically here, football as an industry is a few years behind um, IT and finances in how the data is collected and utilised. So there is definitely a lot of work to be done, and I think we're now only in the very beginning of that process. Um, and there's so much data in football uh, that can be collected and used. Um, and definitely data analytics can, can, uh, can have quite an impact in, uh, in a football club, in a, in a national organization, you name it. Because you you need uh, people with data related uh, skill set to to collect and validate diverse data from multiple sources, and football is as challenging an environment as any other. And then of course uh, you can do your good old business intelligence by creating reports and dashboards that can facilitate decision making, uh, possibly automating away repetitive tasks so that um, the main experts, such as coaches, physiotherapists, sports scientists, can uh, use that time on, on, on something uh, something else, rather than just manual data entry. 
and uh, fiddling with spreadsheets and such. And then, of course, uh, having that data, if you want to carry out any kind of uh, data-driven research, you want someone versed in, in, in statistics and maths so that whatever insights you find aren't just spurious correlations or subjective interpretations of the data. Yeah, I think that's an important point, um, Mickey. There, there's two things that I'd like to follow up on with that, if I can. Firstly, uh, the some of the assumptions that we, and I say we, you know, sports scientists, physios, um, whatever terminology, if we're just looking at the, the sports science data um, and physical performance data, we'll call it, what are some of those assumptions that you see us make that uh, are not necessarily um, underlined with sort of robust statistical data. Um, yeah, what are some of the assumptions that we might, we might uh, jump to? Well, the first uh, the first point would be the sample size, which is more often than not is quite small in football because we're dealing with a small number of people football players, uh, a small number of games or training sessions, relatively speaking, uh, for comparison, if we take uh, a mobile game like Candy Crush, you have tens of millions of daily active users. Uh, and let's say you run an A-B test and you compare group A to group B, you have millions of, of data points. And with football, it's, it's just hands of football players and um, uh, the individual differences between them in, uh, in their workload, in their capabilities, in their response um, uh, to game and training load varies quite a bit. Uh, so if you just look at some averages here and there, you, you can just forget about that uh, small sample size and variation and just pick up on basically noise in, in your data. So that would be one thing. <clears throat> uh, and another thing would be quite related to the first point, actually, um, spurious correlations. Because uh, in addition to that small sample size in football, you can have a lot of different metrics you can look at. Uh, as you know, many clubs use GPS units to track their game and training outputs, and you can have dozens, if not hundreds, of different variables. And if if you look at, if you keep looking at different things, sooner or later you come across uh, what looks like a statistically um, significant correlation and it's it's very tempting to just conclude that okay this metric A is correlated with metric B, and then uh, you 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 draw uh, the the corresponding insights, and you need some basic knowledge of statistics to know that okay, <laughs> uh, you need to take into account the number of things you look at. And uh, it, 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 it becomes a challenge to actually validate those insights you find in data. 
Yeah, I think, um, and you find that with uh, in your discussions with colleagues and and even uh, in your readings and the research that you do um, in in uh, coaching as well as uh, physical performance that you see uh, often some of the conclusions that are drawn are not necessarily backed up with with uh, enough sample size or appropriate methodology um, to, to make those conclusions? Well, yeah, it's you know, the, the path from raw data to conclusions is just fraught with pitfalls. And right now we're just talking about one of the later stages where you apply statistical analysis to the data you've collected but the problems usually begin much earlier because people talk about raw data as if it's just an objective truth, something hmm. that exists uh, you know, um, just on its own. It's you know, some kind of objective um, material, but even the name itself, data, sort of uh, gives that impression, right? something that is given. But data is never given. Data is something that we collect, collect. And the way you collect it already creates a lot of opportunities for biases. Um, That's a great point. Give, give, can you give me and the listeners uh, two examples at a typical football club? Um, where there might be inherent biases in what we would term raw data? Well, for example, sometimes the problem is not with the data you collect, but with the data you don't collect. Uh, let's say <clears throat> let's say you track uh, players' workload, and then for some players it can go down. <laughs> quite a bit during certain periods of time. But the reason is not that they do not train. The reason is that it's an international bike and they go away and train with their national team, but you don't get any data from that period. And <clears throat> if there is a communication breakdown between people who are responsible for the data collection and people who end up analyzing the data, that can just slip through the cracks. And if that goes into any kind of model, just immediately you have a very strong bias against uh, international players. That's just a quick and dirty example for you. For sure. And with, uh, let's say, uh, if, if we talk practically something like uh, GPS collected for training load, do you see any... Um, issues from the point at which the GPS goes on the player's back to the mm. point at which the sports scientist uh, sends the Excel file to you to work your magic with it and add it to your um, uh, Shiny app or whatever tool you're using. Are there any biases in that pathway that we should be aware of? Well, I'm not sure any any biases per se, but there are always errors in uh, in, in in the data sets, especially if there is a human factor, if there is any 
um, manual operations involved. So basically, as long as there is a human who clicks around uh, in Excel or some other program, it's it's not it's not a question of if it's just when or how many errors and uh, how how big they are. So you can have duplicate errors, or you can uh, you can have inconsistencies in in data format, for example, dates or times. Uh, you can have different spellings of players' names. That's that's yep. uh, one problem uh, I run into consistently, because especially when you use multiple data sources, because you can have one spelling uh, in, a, for example, in your GPS data. Another another spelling when it comes to games, or if you use external data sources from uh, uh, third party companies, and uh, so um, it's 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 an uphill battle. You know, uh, there is there is no such thing as perfect data, and to get a, a reasonably clean data, you you have to work long and hard, and it's. Um, it's one of those overused truths about data science that the majority of a data scientist's time goes into cleaning data. Yes, that uh, I recall many frustrating conversations with you around that. Um, but but on to uh, the automation that you mentioned in one of the mm -hmm. early responses. What what would be um, I guess some of the benefits? Uh, they seem to be obvious to people like uh, myself and Brookie who, who are attempting to interpret the data. Um, what would be some of the benefits of automation and, and perhaps uh, the obvious pitfalls of it? Well, the benefits are easy to list. Uh, first and foremost, it, it saves time. Um, that's the most obvious one. Secondly, the the less a process involves human beings, the less room for an error. Um, and if you if you've got a piece of code that moves data around, you can test it very thoroughly, and after that you can be fairly confident that it does the same thing again and again and again without uh, slipping up. And you can never expect that from from a person. Um, you 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 get that consistency. Mm. And uh, and speed is another factor. And sometimes sometimes automating a process is is the only way forward, especially when it comes to real time data. In general, in football, I would speak about the freshness of data or data's shelf life. But sometimes it's it's pretty short. For example, let's say you, you, you've just had a training session and maybe you want to look at the data and adjust the training session next morning. So you only have a few hours to, to look at the data and make, and make those decisions. And if you have to upload the data and copy it into a spreadsheet and maybe generate some plots manually, uh, there may be not enough time or there may be not enough time left 
to actually act on the data. So if you automate that process, and obviously you, you may be talking seconds or minutes instead of hours, so you can get that fresh data that is still usable in front of the coaches or fitness coaches. So speed is, is another important advantage and in football that happens all the time. And, and possible pitfalls of, of getting attracted by the speed aspect? What, what might be some of the things that, that, um, that we're to look out for and the errors associated with that process, apart from you know, the errors of, of humans interacting with the data? Well, most of the time you don't want to jump straight into automating a process when it comes to data, because you want to spend some time getting familiar with the data, understanding uh, what it looks like, what, what it contains, its idiosyncrasies, which again, um, football data is full of. So you sort of want to suffer a bit in the beginning and um, get your hands dirty and make sure that you know the data intimately and only then you can start automating whatever processes you need to automate with all that knowledge. But if you automate too early, then you may never get to know uh, those uh, you know, intricacies and idiosyncrasies of your, of your data. And then when it's an automated process chugging away, spitting out some numbers, you may never get to look inside that black box and uh, yeah, uh, finding out that, okay, actually, I, I, I misunderstood the data altogether. Um, so it's, it's, it doesn't have to be the question of if you want to automate the data, but it can be a question of when. And uh, I mean, some of the automations that, that I've seen you produce are, uh, are fantastic um, and were most helpful um, in our time working together. Um, with regard to the more um, performance and, and tactics side of football, how do you handle the question or the, the scenario where a coach or even you know, a fitness coach might say to you, um, oh, data can't replace my experience in watching football and uh, things like that where, where people put more emphasis on the art rather than the science? Um, how do you handle that conversation where, where uh, a lot of people and, and certainly commentators and things like that say, oh, no, there's too much data in the game. Uh, I, m with my eyes, I can see that so-and-so isn't working hard enough. How do you handle that sort of conversation or how do you handle that in the past? Well, thankfully, I, I seem to usually work with people who want data. <laughs> So uh, I, I wouldn't say that I run into this, this problem too often, but I understand what you're talking about. And listen, I, I'm a data scientist, so of course I'm biased towards data, but I would be the first to admit that it's all about balance. Uh, you don't want to discard data 
because it does contain a grain of objective truth. But you don't want to just rely on data 100% and take it as gospel because it's it's only a partial representation of the complex reality. And, and football is a very complex game. <clears throat> so um, there isn't a data set that gives you all you need to know. So it, it, it's always about narrowing the problem down and trying to ask as specific a question as you can. And then hopefully you can formulate it in, in, in the language of numbers. And then you can look at those numbers on or, or plots and, and, and verify your assumptions if, if you have any. Mm. But in, in, in general, in general, I think the strategy of small wins is, is, is the way to go. Because you put something simple together, you, uh, you show it around, people find it useful, you win some trust in the data. And if, if you know what you're doing, they, they will keep coming back for more. And um, personally, personally, uh, I don't feel like I've got too few questions or too little work to do. If anything, <laughs> once you've got that process going, just people want more and more data, and you, you sort of you need to rein it in, saying, <laughs> starting asking, <laughs> why do you want this data? Are you sure that this is what you need to make your decisions? Um, so it's it's almost as if sometimes you need to to push in the in the opposite direction towards that uh, balanced approach that combines data and expertise and human intuition. Yeah, I certainly um, I enjoyed the fact that uh, when we worked together, Mickey, that um, you came at it often from a, a very uh, objective point of view without the, necessarily the context of which, you know, 15, 20 years of training um, had, had given me. I, I think that's a really, really important point. Um, that you would bring to the equation. And I can think of many occasions where certain viewpoints of all of the staff were altered by you coming uh, at us with a very different point of view. How do you... Um, uh, you recently put an article on the Training Ground Guru, published an article on the Training Ground Guru website, uh, where you, you spoke about some of the... Uh, pitfalls of a data scientist working in a football club. Um, how would uh, people who want to hire or start this process of data scientists, what are some of the traps that, that we could fall into um, when when looking for the right person to fill the job? Obviously, there's a financial component of it, and certainly the listeners in Australia, um, there's not necessarily the, the money around for this task. Um, but what... what what would your advice be in terms of uh, trying to start this process at a club? Well, um, the, the, the first point would probably be to make sure that you're looking for a data scientist for the right reasons. Because uh, sometimes, and this problem obviously isn't limited to football, companies just want to hire data scientists because 
that's in vogue. That's what other companies do. Uh, maybe someone um, in 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 the senior leadership heard about data science and they want to be able to use that uh, term in 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 powerpoints when presenting to stakeholders and um, as you can understand if 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 you start from from that place it's it's unlikely to lead to anything good so there should be a real a real problem a real pain in the organization that that may benefit from from data analytics so that would be so it's not even step one that's step zero um so doing it for the right reasons and um and then we we can talk about uh um how you can go about finding the right person obviously it's uh there, there isn't uh a universal recipe, but you, you want to make sure you want to make sure that you, you can at least potentially attract the best candidates. Because what companies often do is that they focus on filtering candidates, um, getting them through uh, multiple interviews and tests and what have you, but they don't make sure that they attract uh, the best candidates in the first place. And if you don't attract good candidates, then it doesn't matter how rigorous your interviewing process is, because you will only be looking at I don't know, um, the applicants that are maybe not suitable for the position. So it's you, you probably want to focus on the attracting the right candidates first and then on choosing the best candidate amongst them. But uh, it's very easy to skip the first, <laughs> the first part. Yeah. Um, let, me, uh, let me jump in, uh, Miki. I mean, uh, I think if you're, a, you know, if you're a young data scientist who loves, loves football, um, you know, what, what sort of, uh, and, um, you know, I'm going to an interview at, uh, at Arsenal tomorrow and then it's my dream job. And, uh, you know, what, what are you looking for in, in sort of, uh, are you looking at my sort of personality, my qualifications, my, my, uh, my work ethic, what, what sort of features a, a, you know, would make you decide to hire me rather than, uh, rather than someone else? Well, it's not going to be much of a surprise, but the first two things you probably want to look at is whether or not the person is smart and whether or not they get things done. Because without those two components, everything else is moot, isn't it? Yep. Um, and, and, and yes, but then specifically, if we're, if we're talking specifically about football, then, and most of the time you will be getting candidates that haven't worked in football yet because it's a new area in football. So it's important to make sure that they understand what that job will entail. But some people may think that they're going to define everything, you know, including the starting lineup, which is probably not true. 
so you want to you want to make sure that they have the right expectations um because it may not be it may seem obvious to the people on the hiring side it may not be obvious to the candidates and uh, another thing that may be quite pertinent to football is that whoever you hire for that position is capable of explaining complex things in a very simple way because most of the time Unlike in an IT company, for example, or maybe in a uh, financial company, they will be working with people who don't necessarily come from a technical background. And they need to be able to talk to those people in, in a comprehensible way. Uh, making sure that whatever they do actually leads to 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 a real impact rather than just confuses people. Yep. Okay. Um, so you said uh, right at the start, uh, Mickey, that you thought uh, football was sort of way behind, maybe ten years behind uh, other areas in their use of, uh, of data. I mean, where where do you see the potential for for data in, in football? You know, where would you like to take? data and, and football over the next 10 years to bring them up to speed? What, what do they need to do to, uh, to bring them up to speed? Well, I wouldn't say 10 years, but probably a few years. Um, and I, I think it's picking up. And uh, as far as I know, a few clubs in England, in Italy, across Europe, they, they are hiring data analysts and data scientists. Uh, so things are definitely moving in, in in that direction. And obviously blowing my own trumpet here, uh, data analytics can uh, can make quite an impact in, in, in a football club or in a national federation because there is a lot of data in football, a lot of potential to uncover. So it's obviously about investing, investing, hiring, hiring more people, as well as changing the, the culture throughout the organization. Because it's, 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 it's a common mistake uh, thinking that just hiring more people will, will make things happen uh, on its own, but that's, that's, that's very rarely the case. Because um, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's, it's not a data scientist, uh, who, who delivers the end result. And in, in, in football, it's, it's particularly true. As, uh, as you know, um, the result is determined by the, 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 the guys on the pitch. And then the coaching staff, uh, the backroom staff, they're playing a supporting role to, to the players. And, uh, the data people you bring in, they are playing a supporting role to the backroom staff. So they're several steps away from, from the actual impact. And to, to be able to make that impact, uh, there needs to be a certain culture of, of, of utilizing data, of util, utilizing data-driven results in, uh, in preparation. In, in, in training sessions, in preparation for games, in player recruitment, etc. 
and that change doesn't happen overnight and it it it, it may require um a sort of generational change well uh, for data science to to get to well to get close to its full potential and it's 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 not it's not only like that in football of course in uh, in any line of business but then of course if if you work in an IT company or maybe a bank then uh some prerequisites to that data driven culture are already there people like numbers people trust the numbers they want more of them football is a bit more traditional isn't it and most of the staff working in football comes from from football or um, adjacent uh, uh, areas like the sports medicine and such and it's it's a it's a two-way process you 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 can just expect uh, people to uh, to to suddenly have that faith in data the data people coming in, they need to be able to, shall we say, sell, sell data analytics uh, to to the end users. So it's uh, that's why it's very important that uh, whoever you bring in has good communication skills and I would even say empathy, so that they can understand uh, how the stakeholders, the end users of the data work, and what they struggle with and uh, what they need help with. Yeah, that's interesting because there's a you know there's a, an impression that you get that you think oh you just want nerdy sort of uh, you know data producers and and uh, and not have to worry about those other aspects of, uh, of fitting into the group and and selling their uh, selling their concepts and so on. That's a that's an important thing. So, Mickey, if you had to give a you know a, a couple of examples of, of where, uh, without naming names or anything like that, but where data ha you think has made a an impact on uh, on the football club, uh, what sort of uh, give us a couple of areas where you think it might have helped? Well, yes, um, I won't be able to go into too much detail. No, um, I'd rather err on the safe side, but de definitely. One thing that people immediately notice is time saved. When uh, when you automate a process of data collection, or generating a report, uh, you automate it once, and then you can save someone half an hour every single day. And naturally, <laughs> no one fails to appreciate that. Yep. So that's the easiest way to show someone the value of uh, data science. Um, and then uh, you can also improve consistency. So if, if you use the same underlying data uh, to answer different questions, um, you can present consistent reports and dashboards, and we can talk about the variables that you present, even the way you color code them. So you can use that across different data-driven tools. So you make it easier for people to understand what the data is saying and to act on it. So that that, that makes a difference as well. So uh, you take away that effort that is required to to interpret the data. 
So you, 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 you can have the data immediately tell a story, highlighting the most important bits. And uh, yeah, as, as I mentioned, the speed the speed matters as well. And uh, uh, if so, if you can deliver quickly, if you can answer questions quickly, that's again very easy to pe for people to appreciate. If someone needs to go in for a meeting with the coach the next day, and, and they need data, and uh, because you've already created that platform and you can quickly pull the relevant data and present it in a in a very intuitive way you 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 can really make other people's jobs so much easier yeah um, i can see it's very useful all right let's change tack and let's talk about uh, about your book which you've uh, you've just released um it has an, an interesting title um as a Book writer myself, I'm always fascinated by by titles and uh, why why you chose a particular title. Tell us about the title and, and why you chose that title. Uh, so the book is called Data Science Without Makeup, and um, so the idea is to talk about data science as it is, what's and all. And from the very beginning, I wanted this book to be something of a counterbalance to the hype, which is so prevalent, uh, prevalent around data science and machine learning and artificial intelligence. Because it's, it's very easy to get enthusiastic, and there is a good reason for that. But people who don't work with data themselves day in, day out, don't, don't necessarily realize um, how difficult it may be. And um, so the idea behind this book is to show people a bit more about how the sausage is made, so to speak. So it has a bit more of a cynical, gloomy outlook. Yeah, it's it's not all, you know, business value and uh, amazing things and you know that fascinating artificial intelligence that's going to. Uh, do wonders. It's uh, it's it's not so easy. It's not so straightforward. And uh, people who work with data know that a lot of uh, the, the majority of data projects just fail. <laughs> and uh, there is there are quite a few reasons behind it. So, <clears throat> so a lot of uh, people would would say, well, you know. What are you doing writing a book? You know, sharing all your sort of secrets and uh, and insights. You know, aren't you better off just keeping them to yourself? Because uh, otherwise, uh, you know, people might threaten your job. What's what's your response to that? Uh, it's 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 not a textbook. It doesn't really have any recipes. It um it, it's quite broad, and probably the 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 main thing that I share is my skeptical pessimistic view. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. I, I also try and share some of my ideas on how things can be done properly so that we have a fighting chance in, um, you know, in, in making the data useful. But uh, it's, uh, uh, there isn't a silver bullet. Uh, there isn't some magic formula that, uh, that can be patented. Mm, 
So, yeah, no, no, no. If, if someone wants to come in and do my job better, <laughs> they're very, very much welcome to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, go on, give it a go. Um, no, it's it's uh, just uh, if 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 in its own way to a very tiny degree, it can help make the world a better place. Uh, that's 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 great. Where we don't want to people make errors, we we don't want poor data analysis, we don't want uh, companies to go um, sour and disillusioned uh, about the usefulness of data analytics. Um, so no, I'm quite quite happy to share my thoughts, thoughts and ideas uh, on their own. They don't cost much. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's a it's a great read for for anyone who's sort of uh, looking to get into data analytics or uh, or, or already um, maybe might have done a degree and, and looking uh, at ways to get into the into the workforce because uh, it, it, it does have a bit of a, a you know glamour about it, doesn't it uh, at the moment? And and it probably doesn't hurt to have uh, have a more realistic view of uh, of data. And I'm sure that'll be very helpful for. Uh, Potential data scientists, so that they they uh, don't get a rude shock when they uh, when they get to uh, get to actually work in in the field. So, Mickey, we're we're just about out of time. So, uh, just want to say thank you for your for your time. And I know it's late at night, and uh, you know you're dying to have your second dinner. So, uh, we'll let you uh, let you get back to <laughs> back to that. But uh, we really appreciate your uh, your time and your, and your insights. And I'm sure our uh, our listeners will have found it uh, very interesting. So. Thank you very much and, and all the best to you and to Arsenal for the rest of the season. Uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Great. Okay, thanks, Mickey. Bye. Bye.